Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. The opioid crisis continues in central Ohio. 476 residents of Franklin County died from an overdose in 2018. Preliminary data show 380 more died from unintentional drug overdose from January through September of last year. That's a 9% increase over the previous nine-month period. In a moment, I'll talk about that with the Columbus Health Commissioner. Advancements continue to be made in treating cancer. I'll talk about that with the president of the American Society of Clinical Oncology in about 15 minutes. In the second half hour, courtesy of 10TV, Scott Light has a roundtable discussion about student debt at Ohio's school voucher program. And I'll wrap up the hour with more about debt and an app that's available that could help people better monitor their spending. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone, Dr. Mashika Roberts. She's the health commissioner for the city of Columbus. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. We're going to talk about the uh, opioid epidemic, and uh, boy, it just seems to to just go on and on, doesn't it? It does. It's an issue that um, we, um, as a community, have to get um, ahead of so that we can see a decrease in the number of individuals being negatively impacted by this disease of addiction. We've heard from uh, the Franklin County coroner that there were 28 deaths in a 10-day period from January 31st to February 9th, including 10 on January 31st, and it looks like fentanyl is to blame for it. You know, fentanyl, you know, I think the issue is that fentanyl is being laced in a variety of different drugs. It's not always um, opiates that you buy on the street. Um, It can be other street drugs and even some pills that people are buying on the street thinking that they are um, muscle relaxants and other um, pills like that are being laced with fentanyl. And so many people are taking fentanyl unknowingly and um, they're not prepared for the consequences of that. They're not carrying Narcan because their drug of choice is not opiates and so they don't think they need Narcan. But everyone in our community, especially if you're any type of illicit drug user, you should be You should have access to Narcan or your family should have access to Narcan. And on your website, you have a a, a whole list of places where it can be obtained as well. Correct. Um, Narcan is readily available most of the time free of charge in our community. Um, So I encourage people who know someone who's using drugs or actively using um, illicit drugs themselves that they should um, make sure they have Narcan. Is it true that of late Columbus and Franklin County seems to be bucking a trend, which is uh, overall the, the, the opioid problem has diminished somewhat, but not here locally? Um, that is true. Um, I wouldn't say the opioid problem has diminished. We've seen some decrease in deaths and um, overdoses around the state and other counties that we don't see that same trend here in Franklin County. Um, There's a variety of different issues that we can point to explain why that might be. One being is, you know, we're the capital. Um, This is a place that a lot of people come to party um, and to do drugs and other things. We have lots of different interstates that intersect right here in the capital city. This is where the drug dealers like to come. It is the hub of the state, so they can come here and get a lot of business. And our economy is doing well here. 
And as a result of that, people have the means to buy these drugs. And so a variety of different factors. It doesn't excuse the fact that people are still losing their loved ones, um, their coworkers, and their family members. So we have to do better. Talking with Dr. Mashika Roberts, Health Commissioner for the City of Columbus. Uh, you are expanding efforts to, to wrap this issue up, right? Well, we um, have a new plan. We just um, launched a new 2020 to 2021 plan for the Franklin, Columbus and Franklin County Addiction Plan a few weeks ago. Um, this plan is a little more robust than the previous plan where we actually have some outcome measures that we're going to hold ourselves accountable for. Um, we're working with several community partners, so it's not just the city, it's not just the county. We have to work with a variety of treatment agencies, outreach agencies, hospitals, etc. But our plan has three very bold goals that we um, plan to accomplish by the end of 2021. And those goals are, one, decrease the number of overdose deaths by 15%. Number two is decrease the number of drug overdoses. So these are individuals who would, um, their family or loved ones would call saying there was an overdose and EMS or the ER would track those. We want to decrease those by 15%. And then we also want to decrease the number of newly reported hepatitis C cases, which is an infectious disease that infects your liver and um, can easily be transmitted um, through IV drug use. And so we want to reduce that by 10% by the end of 2021. And these, uh, these other issues that come up because of needle usage, you have a very robust program to make sure there are clean syringes out there. Yes, we're fortunate that we have SafePoint here in our community, which is a comprehensive needle exchange program. It's a harm reduction model, so individuals are counseled about whether they want to go into treatment for their um, their drug use. Um, and if they're not ready to go into treatment, we provide them with Narcan. We provide them with clean needles so that we can reduce the transmission of hepatitis C as well as HIV. Um, and then we're a support system for them. So if they need help, they need any other um, supplies, we can provide that for them as well. If you could speak directly to uh, an addict or uh, somebody headed down that road or a family member of someone who is, what, what would you say to them? Well, I would say don't give up hope. I know it's hard. I know it's a challenge. Um, but don't give up the hope. Um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is something. There are services out there to support you. Um, most people who go into treatment for um, for drug use do not are not successful the first time. It often takes multiple attempts, and it's important that they don't give up hope and their family member and their friends as well as their support system also doesn't give up hope on those individuals. There's a community out there of multiple services that is ready to treat you, and so just give us a chance to provide you with those services. Has there been any change in in the, the sort of makeup of who becomes an addict? Because for years we heard about you know, that it started maybe with an injury or some sort of prescription plan, and then they got addicted to prescription opioids and then and then turned to the street later when the prescription ran out. But there's been such a crackdown on the use uh, of prescriptions, the, the length of time that patients can receive them. Is that helping, and are, and are we finding more recreational users or what? I think the change in the pharmaceutical laws are helping. 
Um, but we still have a lot of individuals who have the disease of addiction um, even before that crackdown occurred. And so those individuals are still living with the disease of addiction and trying to manage that disease. Um, and then we have a lot of recreational users. Um, you know, there are kids now who are experimenting and, and trying it. And drugs are so readily available on the street in all forms, in pills and powder, um, that it, it's a challenge. And we look to our law enforcement on a regular basis to try to reduce that availability of drugs and they're doing a, a great job um, but the suppliers keep bringing more in and so that's a challenge. Talking with Dr. Mashika Roberts, health commissioner for the city of Columbus, I understand it takes just a speck of fentanyl to be fatal and we hear these stories of people that are busted with enough that would kill hundreds of thousands of people at a time. So when we go through these waves of 10 people in Columbus or Franklin County dying in one day, you you just must sit there holding your breath, wondering how bad is this wave going to be? No, it definitely takes our breath away. And it's never um, the email that I get from Dr. Ortiz is never an email that I want to receive um, because it's usually telling us that we've lost another member of our community um, or several members of our community. Um, So it it is concerning. I mean, fentanyl is a very potent drug. Um, It's very inexpensive. And so it's an easy drug for a supplier, a drug supplier, to lace and other drugs to make that drug more potent. And most individuals who are dealing with the disease of addiction, they, you know, they're always trying to get a stronger high than the last high they had. And unfortunately, in doing so, they oftentimes are, are seeking the fentanyl um, not, and, and really taking the gamble of whether it's going to be their last drug use or not. Um, because some are succumbing to it, unfortunately. Um, Again, that's why it's so important for individuals to have access to Narcan and not use alone. So if they are using and they do stop breathing, someone is there who can provide the Narcan and who can call 911. I've heard addicts say that very thing. Uh, They are chasing a a better high in that they want to be right on the edge. They want to get as as Mm -hmm. close to death, I guess, or the best high that they can possibly get. Absolutely. And that just comes with the disease of addiction. You know, with addiction, you're always trying to see what can be better, what can be stronger. Um, And that's why we, you know, we also have to do a better job in the community of treating the underlying issues that often get people into drug use, which is often mental health issues. Where is uh, all this going in the future? Has it become a part of our culture that is just not going to go away? Well, you know, I think it's hard to say. I I think there will always be some individuals in our community that will have the disease of addiction, and whether it's drug use, alcohol use, or other forms of addiction. Um, But in terms of this addiction with this drug, um, I do hope that we get on top of it and we're successful not only as a community but also as a nation of controlling this epidemic that we have right now. Um, But that doesn't mean there won't be another one. I mean, this isn't the first time we've had a drug epidemic in our country. Um, In the 80s, we had crack cocaine, um, and and that really hasn't gone away. Um, It just is not as common and is not as pervasive. Um, But now now we see it with opiates. 
so um, we've got to treat it, and we've got to make sure we have the systems in place um, to handle, to appropriately handle the individuals who are dealing with the disease of addiction. And that means more treatment options, more accessible treatment, um, and readily available to those who need it. This uh, Denial Ohio campaign actually started locally, but has spread across the state as well to try to raise awareness about the issue. Absolutely. Um, And it really focuses on prevention and trying to get adults and caregivers to understand that something as minor as leaving your unused prescription for the pain medicine you got after your knee surgery or shoulder surgery in your medicine cabinet can be um, an open invitation to others that might come into your household, um, whether they're your children, your nieces, your nephews, um, or visitors who go and use your restroom and go through your medicine cabinet. And so, again, whether you're a caregiver, a parent, a grandparent, um, really trying to get others to understand that we have a drug problem in our community and what can we do to try to curb that and not make um, access to drugs easy for individuals who might be seeking it. And kids are curious. They're going to try things. They hear things from their friends and they say, oh, you should go look in your grandmother's medicine cabinet. I bet she has something good. They go get it. Grandmother doesn't miss it because she's not taking it. And then they share it with their friends. And so um, that is something we have seen with youth in um, various communities, and we've got to get um, a hold of that. And I think the Denial Ohio campaign is excellent in handling that, that primary prevention message. Talking with Dr. Mashika Roberts from Columbus Public Health. She's the health commissioner. On the street level, then, with fentanyl, it's it becomes an international problem. We've had even Congress trying to crack down on this stuff coming in from China. Yeah, we have. And, you know, again, there's always more work to be done. Um, and I think the uh, nationally, we're doing some good work, and I think there's always more we can do. Dr. Roberts, uh, where can folks find out more? I've looked at the website. You've just got a ton of links on there for all kinds of information that people might need. Yeah, so our website does have a lot of very useful information, um, so I encourage individuals to check it out if they are interested. Um, it's the Columbus and Franklin County Addiction Plan, so it is columbus.gov backslash C-F-C-A-P. So columbus.gov backslash Columbus Franklin County Addiction Plan, C-F-C-A-P. Dr. Roberts, uh, anything else you'd like to add? No, I just want, you know, to remind everyone that those who use drugs, this really is a disease of addiction. Um, people have not made a choice to be addicted to drugs. They've gotten there um, through a variety of different things that have happened and circumstances in their life. And we as a community have to be supportive of those individuals and help them heal and um, understand that there's no quick fix for drug addiction. Um, it takes time. It takes a lot of work and a lot of patience. City of Columbus Health Commissioner, Dr. Mashika Roberts. Thanks so much for your time today. No, thank you. Have a great one. The stigma of addiction is destroying lives across the country, preventing our loved ones from getting the help they need. We are Shatterproof, a national nonprofit dedicated to ending the stigma and devastation addiction causes families. We are changing laws, creating a community of support, and providing evidence-based resources for prevention, treatment, and recovery. Stigma shatters lives. Rise up against addiction now so another life isn't lost. 
Get involved at shatterproof.org slash rise up. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day. And it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Dr. Howard Skip Burris III. He is the president of the American Society of Clinical Oncology. How are you? Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, This past Wednesday, February 5th, was World Cancer Day. What was that about? So World Cancer Day, um, once a year, we get together with uh, the rest of the world to raise awareness about uh, both cancer uh, treatments and cancer education. Uh, This is a global event that was initiated by the Union for International Cancer Control, and it's a call of action for every individual to make a personal commitment to reduce the impact of cancer for themselves, the people that they love, and the world. So uh, a great awareness day for our society. So as you kind of take stock of where we are, how has it been over the last year when it comes to dealing with this dreaded disease? So the progress continues. I've uh, been blessed to have seen great advances over now, my 30th year as a medical oncologist, um, and it's a great opportunity to be the president of our society this year. The American Society of Clinical Oncology chooses World Cancer Day to release its annual clinical cancer advances report. This is our 15th year of releasing this information to the public. And this year, we have chosen the refinement of the surgical treatment of cancer as the advance of the year. So I think that'll take some folks by surprise. We've had so many new therapies uh, that have been approved, pill therapies and antibodies that now Taking note of what's happened for the surgical treatment of cancer uh, is an important topic to discuss. It does seem like there's been a lot of focus lately on uh, trying to make treatment less invasive. Yes, we have um, had several strategies that have been uh, performed by our researchers, which has proved to be positive through clinical trials. And this has been using some of these newer therapies before surgery. 
using some after surgery to eradicate uh, any remaining cancer cells. And this has resulted in less surgery for many patients, certainly less invasive surgery, and then also uh, eliminating the need for surgery in certain patients. So those have all been very remarkable advances. What types of cancer are you seeing the biggest gains in dealing with? So we are seeing gains really across a number of cancers. Recently highlighted, we had a marked improvement seen in the survival rates with cancer, which was really driven by one of our most common cancers, lung cancer, and the effectiveness of new therapies for treating that disease using the new immunotherapies to help our immune system eradicate those cells, and then also some of the pill or targeted therapies that are affecting those patients who have specific mutations that have caused their, their cancers. That's almost commonly, more commonly seen in the group that is not associated with smoking. But we've also seen uh, improvements and highlighting around the uh, refinement of surgical care have been in diseases that have been very aggressive, such as melanoma, kidney cancer, and pancreatic cancer. So really seeing important strides across the field. Talking with Dr. Skip Burris, he is in Nashville. He's the president of the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Just in recent days, we've heard about work with T-cells and possibly turning on something within them that would make them fight cancer cells only. That could be a breakthrough down the line. What's your take on that? Yes, uh, beginning to understand how to harness our own immune system. And I think the simplest case to think about is your friend or loved one who's perfectly healthy, and then some unusual cancer emerges in that, and and we're all surprised. And it turns out that that's often not a weak immune system. That is simply the cancer cell being smarter than the immune system and our own immune system not recognizing that we should eliminate those cells. So, a whole field of research has emerged over the last uh, 10 to 15 years looking at harnessing the immune system. And this latest advance that you're talking about are really strategies around re-engineering our own T-cells so that they know to fight the cancer. Uh, this initially has worked out well in blood cancers and uh, the phrase people hear are the CAR T-cells. But this move now into another group of therapies most referred to as TCR actually using those T-cells to recognize the machinery inside the cancer cell and cause our immune system to help eradicate those. So complicated science, but here and now the clinical trials have begun, uh, certainly early on some encouraging results, and I think there's a great deal of promise around that type of approach to treating cancer. You know, it's interesting because over the years I've asked a lot of doctors and researchers whether there could ever be a magic bullet against cancer in general, and they've always said it's just too complicated and, and varied to be able to ever expect that might happen. But might this be something akin to a magic bullet? Well, I, you know, the magic bullet phrase um, we're, we're bringing back for specific diseases. So a uh, great question, and I think both sides of it are true. Cancer is more than 100, often quoted as more than 200 different diseases. But within that spectrum of all those cancers, from kidney to melanoma to pancreas to lung, we actually have some magic bullets for some of those patients. Uh, Some of those are utilizing the immune system, and some of those are targeting specific mutations. But it's clear, patient by patient and disease by disease, we're seeing remarkable advances. 
Talking with Dr. Skip Burris, he is uh, the president of the American Society of Clinical Oncology. What about pediatric cancer? A, a lot of uh, new developments in that area at all? There are. Uh, pediatric cancer uh, is something that's important. Uh, bringing precision medicine or this molecular approach of research to pediatric cancers and the children that are experiencing those is a key research priority for ASCO. In this past year, we have seen uh, a pill, a small molecule that targets a specific mutation called TREK, T-R-K, in a number of pediatric cancers, uh, including some of the sarcomas or tumors of the muscle and bone that has been remarkable. We've seen some dramatic responses and, and uh, elimination of cancer in some of those children. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have seen the treatments we're just talking about, these immunotherapies, car therapies that are using our T-cells uh, begin to have a real impact in children's leukemias, which is also so important. Dr. Burris, anything else you'd like to add? I'm just that World Cancer Day is certainly an opportunity for us to raise awareness and to think about what we can do from a prevention point of view with lifestyle changes, uh, exercise and weight control, things that we can do with regard to early detection, which is getting our screening appointments and meeting our physicians. I would encourage our listeners to uh, go to ASCO's patient information site, cancer.net. It's the next best thing to talking with their doctor because the information there is geared to patients and it's approved, been approved by expert oncologists. So important to, uh, to take a look at that. And then our ASCO.org site uh, also has this full clinical cancer advances report, which I think uh, many individuals will find interesting. You know, I just wanted to throw in as an aside, it seems like with uh, Alex Trebek, you know, such a high-profile case there with his pancreatic cancer, it seems like a few years ago, even just the idea that 10 months after his diagnosis, he would still be recording episodes of that program would have just about seemed impossible. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it speaks to two points, and we're certainly praying and hoping for Mr. Trebek to have uh, a, a longer and, and uh, life and a great quality of life, but you're mentioning the fact that he is doing well, and I think that many of the treatments have been successful in maintaining quality of life, having patients continue to live their daily activities, which is so important at that stage. So thank you for highlighting that. Pancreatic cancer remains a priority. It is certainly an aggressive cancer, but luckily there's much research going into pancreatic cancer, and there's some promising new therapies uh, headed for that disease. And doctor, if folks want more information about uh, World Cancer Day and uh, your information about progress made, where can they find it online? I would urge you to look at two different sites, ASCO.org uh, backslash CCA, ASCO.org if you want to look at the Clinical Cancer Advances Report, which has really got great information in it, and then more specific to individual cancers, to go to ASCO's patient information site, which is cancer.net, um, and that's a, a very useful site as well. All right, Dr. Howard Skip Burris III, President, American Society of Clinical Oncology. Thanks for your information today. Sure appreciate it. Great to speak with you. To some people, the sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much. But that's not necessarily true. By six months, they're combining vowels and consonants. 
By nine months, they're trying out different kinds of sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on some meaning. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Early screening and intervention can make a lifetime of difference and unlock a world of possibilities. Take the first step at AutismSpeaks.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Have you ever experienced a wish come true? For a child battling a critical illness, a wish come true can be a turning point. One song, one dance, one game, one adventure, one moment changes everything. Make-A-Wish needs your support to grant the wish of every eligible child. Visit wish.org now to help grant more life-changing wishes. Together, we can transform lives one wish at a time. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of 10TV, here is Scott Light from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Here's Scott. We're going to talk about education a lot this morning. From preschool to high school and then to college, boy, the debt can add up. It's at $1.5 trillion right now, and it is going nowhere but up. First, we want to say welcome to Face the State. We're glad you're with us on this Sunday morning. I'm Scott Light. I've got a great group of guests this morning. Let me introduce you to them right now. Kevin Tyler is here from Ology. It's a branding company with special emphasis on helping colleges and universities out there. Lauren Huddleston's back at the table. She's a lawyer with Grant Street Consultants, also former law clerk to former Senate President Keith Faber. Michael Cole's back at the table as well. He has 20-plus years' experience in public affairs and education advocacy. He's currently a Columbus City School Board member. And we welcome John Naughton. He is Vice President of Enrollment and Student Services at Ohio Dominican University. Welcome all. Good morning. Good to have you here. It's good to have everybody here on a Sunday. We're going to talk a lot about education. And let's kick it off here because whether it's college expenses, whether it's school choice or that staggering amount of student debt, education affects us all. Even if you don't have kids in school, education affects our economy and therefore your economy. So let's begin with this issue of school choice. It's an issue being debated right now at the State House, and President Trump mentioned it in his State of the Union address. For too long, countless American children have been trapped in failing government schools. To rescue these students, 18 states have created school choice in the form of opportunity scholarships. The programs are so popular that tens of thousands of students remain on a waiting list. And then the Ohio House voted overwhelmingly to phase out what's called Ed Choice vouchers to create an income-based system. In fact, Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder said this, quote, performance-based vouchers are over with. Wow, that was a maybe a, a bold declarative thing for the House Speaker to say. Michael Cole, will you start us off in this respect? Um, this vote by the House, it was 88 to 7, wasn't even close. How do you think this is going to, uh, if this passes the Senate and is eventually signed into law, how could this affect the parents and students you represent um, okay. for city school board? 
So uh, the first piece is, is that um, this phase in or this phase out, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, because what they're calling it now is the Buckeye Opportunity Scholarship. This phase out from performance based to income based just broadens the opportunity for more students to have access. What it does for Columbus City Schools is gives us a clearer idea of what ongoing deductions to our budget will be over time. It also identifies what will be most likely a finite amount of students who will be included into this legislation who tend to be the siblings of students already enrolled in these voucher programs. So for us, I, I think the long run is the good news that okay. we're not going to see these overwhelming deductions that we do now. Charter schools alone account for about 20 percent of our budget as a pathway. What I'm also encouraged by in this legislation specifically is that um, that they're not looking for schools to be the pathway for payment of these vouchers, mm. that these will be something that actually go directly to families. Look, folks, vouchers aren't going anywhere. Ed Choice isn't going anywhere. I'm certainly someone who is a strong, profound proponent of public schools, mm -hmm. but I'll never tell a parent, you know, you can't make a decision about where your child should go to school. Mm -hmm. But I will say that the president's narrative on failing government schools, I think, was a bit harsh. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a bit a bit hyperbolic in mm -hmm. certain ways. Um, uh, Lauren, the House seemed to put down a stamp again on that vote, 88 to 7, overwhelming, overwhelmingly. The Senate's going to have a, a say in this as well. How do you think this plays out? You know, I think the House plan by phasing out the performance-based eligibility takes it out of the hands of the technocrats who have created the school report card and have contributed mm. to this broken bureaucracy that is the reason why parents and children need school choice in the first place. Um, when you look at performance-based eligibility, it's based on the school report card, which we've talked around this table several times mm -hmm. about how flawed it is. I don't think residents in Franklin County would look at Upper Arlington schools and say that they're underperforming schools there. But according to the school report card, that's exactly the case. According to the school report card, 40, over 40 percent of Ohio's public schools are underperforming. So, I, I mean, the criteria, the metrics are just completely off. So mm -hmm. the, the House did make a, a bold statement mm -hmm. in ensuring that the priority for these vouchers is going to go to the students who need them the most and ensure that the poorest kid on the block has the same educational opportunity as the richest kid on the block. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And by moving to income, it's a more objective measure in general. And also, it cuts down on that completely unnecessary competition between public schools and other types of schools. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Senate has expressed that they are unhappy with the process, which I would say is the whine of someone who's losing on the policy mm -hmm. side. Um, I know that Matt Huffman has been a leader on Ed Choice over in the Senate. He proposed a very similar bill in the last General Assembly that also moved to income-based eligibility um, because it's funded through a separate appropriation. We don't have to worry about taking money out of the public schools and disrupting their funding, making it even more unpredictable. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think 
Matt Huffman will lead the discussion on this, and hopefully we'll be able to come to a reasonable conclusion that serves Ohio's students and children. Kevin, how do you see this? Well, I think looking from the higher education perspective, I think looking back into the K-12 system, um, what we've heard from our uh, our partners is that um, not every student uh, that gets to college is actually prepared. Right. And so how do we uh, come up with a system that allows parents and families to make the decision for what's best for their child in terms of K-12 education? Uh, but also get them prepared for the higher ed uh, experience that they're going to have, that hopefully have, if, if that's right for them. Um, and so uh, without, you know, arguing about the ins and outs of legislation and, and uh, you know, school board uh, decisions, whatever, um, all, I, all I care about is pre- pre- prepared students, mm-hmm. and uh, that will take all of us. It's going to, it's, it's, uh, it's a problem that, um, you know, if I, get to, if I get to college, I'm not prepared. That means I have to pay more to get prepared for right. college. Right. Um, that might mean an extra year of paying tuition. I might mean taking uh, summer courses uh, that are also very expensive. Um, so, you know, personally, I think um, if my target in my neighborhood doesn't have what I need, I can drive across town to another target and get what I need. Mm-hmm. I think education, if I'm not getting what I need in my own mm-hmm. neighborhood, I should be able to pick another place um, that is giving my child uh, what they need. You mentioned higher education. Let's bring our other... Uh, voice at the table here. Let's bring John into the conversation. Your university made some news. We called it a summer sale. How about this? We like it when things are reduced, especially when we're talking about the cost of higher education. This summer at Ohio Dominican University, there are going to be 30 plus undergraduate courses at nearly half the regular cost at $395 per credit hour. And John, the way from what I read about this, these are courses covering a pretty wide swath of subjects from the arts, education, business, and theology. Tell me more about this. That's right. Yeah, and this is actually about the third year that we've done this. So we're excited to keep this program going. It's an opportunity, obviously, for our own students to continue their education through the summer months, get that extra step towards graduation, and save some money and time along the way. It's also, we open it up to students from other institutions as well who are looking to get that step forward as well, they can transfer the credits back to their home institution in the fall. So we see it as a a win-win for our students and other students. And for the university, it's an opportunity for us to keep our students engaged in the campus community during a time of year where they're out doing internships, summer jobs, family vacations, and so forth. With the number of courses that we have and the wide swath of uh, opportunities, we also, majority of the courses are online. So it doesn't preclude them from going and doing those things that they want to do during the summer as well. It really offers maximum flexibility. So we're excited to continue to offer this program, and we hope that uh, as many students as possible take advantage of it. What I've heard from the higher ed community is that some 70% of students across the board in the entire country find themselves in freshman year unprepared for the college experience. Now... Let's look at what unpreparedness is, and maybe you can qualify it just a bit more. It's not so much just academic, right? No. It's also experiential. Yep, right. It's also very much experiential. So um, I love it that this environment, particularly here in central Ohio and throughout the state, are really creating opportunities to broaden this access to this experience. Right. And also looking at the investment, even with this legislation with Senate Bill 89, career tech education Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. We realize every kid's not going to make it to college. doesn't want to go to college. I have a youngster who's telling me he doesn't want to go to college. (laughs) Okay, but all that aside, I I think it's awesome that this environment is looking at regionally what we Mm -hmm. need in terms of workforce and creating those pathways 
even in Columbus City schools mm-hmm. especially, to provide them for youngsters. Listen, you know what? There, there are young people right now at Columbus State. They can get a two-year degree there That's and right. then go to work at Honda out of the gate for $75,000 a year at 20, 21 years old. So a lot of opportunities out there. We're going to talk about higher education. We're going to talk about student loan debt, plus a chance for high schoolers to figure out what Michael was just talking about, if college is the right path for them. Stay with us. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Scott Light, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back, everyone, here at the table with Kevin Tyler, Lauren Huddleston, Michael Cole, and John Naughton. Let's continue to talk about the the cost of the student loan crisis out there. It's at one5 trillion dollars. Lauren Huddleston, my friend, you and I have talked about this both here at this table and off camera as well. How does you paying, still paying for law school, how does that affect your economy at home? The car you drive, the rent you pay, things like that. I was going like to say, that. as I was driving here in the snow, I was thinking, I wish I wasn't driving an 11-year-old car. But <laughs> it, it does affect your everyday decisions. And I think that's something that college students shouldn't take lightly, and uh, or incoming college students mm-hmm. shouldn't take lightly, and they should make sure that they're fully educated and, and making the right decision for them. Because like you said, you can get a job at Honda after graduating from a two-year college, mm-hmm. making more than a lot of people who are graduating from a four-year institution. So what is that break-even point for students? When do they start making the decision that they're not going to go to institutions of higher ed? We've seen those numbers are dropping around the state. Mm-hmm. In 2010, we had 750,000 students at Ohio's colleges and universities. Uh, In 2019, I think we have about 593,000, which is back down to 2002 numbers. Kevin Tyler is here from Ology. It's a branding company with special emphasis on helping colleges and universities out there. A lot of people assume that that number of $1.5 trillion is completely completely includes people who have graduated from college and have a degree, and that is not the case. So there are 46 million adults who have some college and no degree, which is the most vulnerable place to be in American society when you have this debt that you're carrying, but you don't have the employability that you should have Mm -hmm. after having taken out the loan. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a really, really important point, I think, that people are forgetting, is that not everyone in that that 1.5 trillion has a degree, so that's A. Um, There are schools across the country who are having conversations about what we can do to uh, bring down costs. There's a great uh, historically black college university in Dallas called Paul Quinn College. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're a work program, an urban work program. And so all the students on that campus work full time and also go to school. And so they, wow. they graduate with less than $10,000 of college debt. And they have work experience. And they have work experience. My goodness. Right. So these kinds of programs that are going to be completely dependent upon partnerships, let me make that very clear, that um, these schools that are pumping out graduates that are not thinking about the partnerships that they can create to get that work experience and hopefully bring down some of the costs. John Naughton, he is vice president of enrollment and student services at Ohio Dominican University. When we talk about the cost of college, people forget about the fees and the other right. costs. They think about how do I oh, get in yeah. and get it settled, but this is an issue through their entire college career, and it's every semester trying to figure out how do we get through. Michael Cole's back at the table as well. He has 20-plus years' experience in public affairs and education advocacy. He's currently a Columbus City School Board member. Our academic institutions, public especially, are creating opportunity for youngsters to have these conversations early with their parents. College Credit Plus gives us that opportunity. So kids who 
qualify for these types of courses could actually start taking them as early as eighth grade and working their way up. Um, th- so this, this, this academic environment that we're in now is creating opportunity for pathway access, yeah. not just to higher ed, but also to career tech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a, a broad swath of opportunities available that make kids find their passions and then develop and cultivate skills in the process. Mm-hmm. Kevin, so, go, no, go ahead. The, well, the one thing I was going to add, just sorry, um, is that I'm glad this conversation is happening now, right? Because historically, um, higher ed and college costs has been equated to like a luxury brand, right? Yes. People would pay <clears throat> exorbitant sums of money to say, I went to this kind of school mm-hmm. and now I, I, all these doors are opening, right? Mm-hmm. There, there is uh, an attachment of quality to cost or price, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have a new conversation happening. And Gen Z, the next you know group of people to enter college, they are they are savvy, and they don't want to spend a bunch of money right. for a college degree. And they are they are taking advantage of programs like two plus two. Um, so it will be uh, on the responsibility of colleges to figure out why they're charging so much still, because mm-hmm. exclusivity is no longer uh, as important as it once was. Right. Um, selectivity rates uh, are gonna have to come, go up, right? Because there'll be, the demographics are just shifting uh, all across the country. There are all these things happening um, that affect college cost. Um, and this, these are the kinds of conversations uh, and the timing of them are, are incredible uh, because we have to figure out a way to not have the cost keep going I, up. I saw some research this week on Gen Z's. The number one issue to them is the environment. Mm-hmm. What's number two? Financial. Mm-hmm. They are paying attention to the dollars and cents right. of their lives and of their and, parents' and they, lives. And the thing is, I'm so sorry, the thing is, is that the, the I feel like higher ed is not being as transparent as it could around the cost of college. Mm-hmm. Um, like Michael said, that being prepared is not just academically, it's understanding how money works. Yep. And the loan process plus figuring out your scholarship aid is not the easiest process in the, in the world to figure out. And so when, when higher ed can figure out a way to make it easier, then maybe you'll have more applicants. Well, I think one of the ideas that I really like in that regard is the income share agreements that we're seeing. I think there's about 60 schools across the country that have innovated them, including Purdue. Um, they, the colleges, give the students the amount they need to borrow for their education, and then they take a percentage of the student's income after graduation. And I think it helps to align interest to make sure that the colleges are actually believing that they can provide this student with an education that will make them career ready, and it's ensuring that the students aren't accruing massive amounts of interest Mm -hmm. and can rest assured that if they don't have a job, that they're not paying on their student loans. Mm -hmm. Um, But to go back to the question about what state could we be looking to, I agree with Kevin. I'm not sure there's a model state, but I do think we're on face of state. We can't let Ohio off the hook. Um, State funding, GRF funding for higher ed has gone down Mm -hmm. since 2002. So we were paying about $4,100 per student in 2002. I don't know how we somehow got to $3,800 per student. And it's, it's not just about how much the state is putting into it. I think we also need to be very aware of the brain drain. And the, uh-huh. that fewer number of students that's coming to Ohio, we should be more focused on what we can do to keep those the best and the brightest in Ohio right. afterwards. Right. So what can the state do to incentivize that? I think Purdue is a really great example because they're doing a lot of innovative <coughs> things in the higher ed space, that being one, the income share. But also they created a charter school to get the kids prepared for the kind of education that they would receive at Purdue. So they are building 
their own pipeline of applicants mm-hmm. that go from from sixth grade into their classrooms at Purdue. And I think that's a really smart approach to building a pipeline of students that you're not going to find otherwise. Gonna be I'll as prepared. build on that with a local example, though. I think uh, Columbus State Community College has done a yeoman's job in developing over the past five to six years now of creating pathway opportunities mm-hmm. for students with local school districts. Marysville schools mm-hmm. created this relationship with Honda, mm-hmm. where they're opening the doors of opportunity for youngsters to make, as you said, that sixty to $75,000 a year. Out of the gate. Mm-hmm. That's like puffy money <laughs> yeah. for, high school st- for yeah. a high school graduate student. Um, so I, I, you're right. Let's not take Ohio off the table at all. I think there are many ways in which we're showing up this conversation very well here and locally. Columbus State is an absolute rock star. And their their two plus two program where you can go there two years and then they've got agreements with a ton of universities out there where, again, you can transfer and do your last two years at at a bigger university if that's what you want to do. Some people have debt. Some people don't. Some do that four-year school. Others look toward the trade schools. Last question to the group today. I've been looking forward to asking all of you this. What little piece of advice for our audience as we close out the show. What would your today self say to your high school or college self (laughs) back in the day? John Naughton. John, start us off. I would say don't be a spectator. Okay. Too many students come to campus and their parents are asking all of the questions and their parents are saying what they want to see. We've talked a lot about finances. Finances are important. I mentioned before, we look at it when we talk at Ohio Dominican, we look at how can we make it more affordable, but there's also the value aspect to it. So what are schools doing that are making uh, the dollars that you're spending, giving them more bang for your buck? Michael Cole, he's at the gate strong with don't be a spectator. All right, follow that one up. You know what? I would say that, uh, I would say, Michael, you are worthy of your wildest dreams Hmm. to be your greatest self. You're worthy of your wildest dream to be your greatest self. Kevin Tyler. My advice to my uh, past self would be don't look at rankings. Now that I understand how they work, okay. uh, the information that is uh, submitted into rankings uh, that families are making decisions on is not the best information to use to make a decision as um, important as where you go to college. Um, so that would be my advice. Lauren Huddleston, what would your today self say to Lauren's past self? There's so much single-minded focus for high school students on making yourself the strongest applicant you can be on your college applications. And then I don't think there's enough conversation afterwards after you've gotten your college admissions about how do you make the most of your college experience. Mm -hmm. And I think more students need to get more involved on campus, like we discussed, because you are still building your resume. And I think a lot of students think, I got into college, I'm, I'm done. I'm mm-hmm. just sailing until I go get my first job. And that's not the case. A college degree is now the baseline. It's not the differentiator. I was raised by a single mother, and she said, follow your passion. Don't worry about the income. Don't worry about all the other stuff. That's That'll right. come if you work hard. That's right. But follow your passion mm-hmm. out of the gate. So, Mom, thanks. <laughs> uh, and thank you all for coming here this morning. That's Scott Light, courtesy of 10TV, from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. You can catch a new edition of that this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Shortness of breath, patients confused, temp 102. He just had an infection. What's going on? It's becoming septic. Antibiotics started. Bed ready, let's move him. Infections can lead to a deadly chain reaction in your body called sepsis. Very quickly, sepsis can cause tissue damage, organ failure, and even death. If you know the risks, can spot the symptoms, and act fast, then you can get ahead of sepsis. Learn more at cdc.gov sepsis. 
Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting a Teenager Learning the Lingo Jelly Jelly adjective Jelly is a shorter better way to say jealous as in Chloe I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same Visit adoptuskids.org brought to you by the US Department of Health and Human Services Adopt US Kids and the Ad Council to protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of threatening calls from telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. These calls are not from us. Hang up and report the call at oig.ssa.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James. Joining me on the phone from Nationwide in Columbus is uh, Scott Sanchez, Chief Innovation Officer for Nationwide. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thanks for having me, Dave. Thanks for talking to us. You know, everybody knows that Nationwide is a big insurance company, but you're much more than that. And what we're going to talk about today goes down one of the other avenues that you navigate. That's exactly right. Nationwide is all about protecting people, businesses, and futures. And people know us as auto and home insurance. We're much more than that today. And as we continue to innovate, uh, we're setting ourselves up for another 100 years of helping people. You're a big uh, financial services uh, organization as well, and uh, we're going to talk about debt. We, you've, you've been looking into debt and how, how much of a grasp it has on people. Oh, it's it's unbelievable to me, and I think everybody can read the papers and, and look at and listen to the radio and, and, and watch TV, and, and debt just keeps coming up. It's a major problem. We hit a new record in December, $14 trillion in debt that Americans have across mortgages, credit cards, student loans, et cetera. I'm not sure that's a record we want, <laughs> to be honest with you, and we've been studying this for a while, and how do we help people uh, get on a path to staying out of debt? Uh, getting out of debt and staying out of debt. It's a huge problem, and we want to uh, do everything we can to help folks do that. I saw one of the questions uh, that you were looking at. It's, it's kind of fun in a way, but it also kind of underscores how big of a deal it is. 63% of the people surveyed said they'd be willing to give up their favorite food for a month to get out of debt, or 49% would forego coffee or other forms of caffeine for a month to get out of debt. <laughs> I don't know about the coffee. That'd That's be pretty exactly. tough. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, that's exactly right. It's uh, it's interesting because uh, even in Ohio, those numbers are even a little higher. Sixty-seven percent of Ohioans would give up their favorite food for a month. Fifty-six percent would forego coffee for thirty days. So I don't know what that means about Ohio versus the rest of the country. But but to your point, it, what this points to in many ways is a problem, right? And as we've studied with people all over the country to try to understand what matters, we came up with two things that really matter. One is. They need a plan. They don't have a plan. Uh, they'd like to have a plan, but it's complicated, right? And, and it's not something people like thinking about. You've got to have a plan, number one. Number two, 
bad days happen, right? It's a little like dieting. You're going to go out to dinner and eat that meal, right? Bad days happen. Bad weeks happen. And so you needed a plan, but you needed a way for that plan to adjust, to be flexible, set another way to be nimble, right? Which is the offering, the, the product that we just launched. You needed a way for that to adjust to how you do it so that you can continue to make that trade-off between paying down debt, between spending money today and paying down debt and saving for the future tomorrow. Nice segue. Nimble is the name of the app. Have you thought about going into radio, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I was told I had a face for radio at one oh, point in go. my career, so I'm not sure that's, a, that's the best thing for me. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Uh, Nimble, uh, N-I-M-B-L, that's an app that uh, you're going to talk about. What is it exactly? Yep, it's a free mobile app that you can get on um, your, uh, in the Apple Store or the uh, Google Store uh, and download it. And what it basically does is you it sets up and, and helps you connect to your bank accounts, right? Your credit card accounts, et cetera. Basically, anywhere you're spending money, but also paying down debt. And what it will do is it will take, it will look at all of that, it will analyze that information, and it will help put together a plan. It'll ask you a few questions, and you know how conservative, how aggressive are you? When do you want to get out of debt? And how do you sort of trade? off if I spend more here what does that do Um, and then it'll give you that plan and then you spend like you normally would hopefully with a little bit less maybe fewer cups of coffee every week right and then as you adjust it will adjust to you and it'll help you it'll say things like hey this week you're running hot in your spending you might want to slow down, right? Because that'll cost you when you get out of debt. Or it'll give you an end-of-month summary. Summary, And so it's really trying to get you some of that information at your fingertips so you can have a better feel and a better handle on how do you trade off today and tomorrow and how do you get on that path to get out and stay out of debt. So are you entering in from information right down to, you know, like how much money you spend on uh, haircuts and things like that per month? It will pull that in. It will pull all of that spending in. And it's not about where you're spending your money per se. It's really trying to make it really simple. Spending versus saving versus paying down debt. That's one of the things we learned is people don't like to think about it. They want to plan, but they don't want to spend a lot of energy analyzing and setting it up. It's one of the reasons people abandon paper and Excel, right? Which are things that they're trying to do to do that. And so we're trying to make it as simple as possible, really focused on helping you get out of debt and stay out of debt. Talking with Scott Sanchez, Chief Innovation Officer for Nationwide. Some folks are going to say, well, wait a minute, this sounds like a way for Nationwide why just to get a bunch of private information about me. And I can absolutely understand that perspective. The reality is we are all about trying to help people protect what matters most to them. And so we've built privacy and security into everything we do, of course. And then at the end of the day, you don't have to be a nationwide uh, uh, policyholder at all to use this. It's a free mobile app, right? And so use it. Use it for free and use it to help you get out of debt, right? Is there information that is helping us understand spending patterns so that we can have conversations with you and talk about where people are spending money in the aggregate? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, your information is yours, uh, and we're not going to do anything at all to to leverage that in ways that we shouldn't. And Scott, how do folks uh, find this app? Yep. Go to your Google store, your Apple store, search for Nimble by Nationwide, N-I-M-B-L, or you can go to www.actnimble.com, actnimbl.com, and find out about it. And we would just say, try it. Uh, There's nothing, uh, no cost to it. Just try it and see what happens. And if it can help you even a little, then we're excited to to help attack this problem. All right. Scott Sanchez, Chief Innovation Officer Nationwide. Anything else you'd like to add? 
would just say, you know, part of this, uh, you know, as we think about nationwide, um, what we're trying to do is help folks, right? And so at the end of the day, you know, we care a lot about retirement. We care a lot about protecting people in their moments. Um, but it's really hard to think about all of that when you've got this mountain of debt. So our hope is that as we can help people here, there are other places we can help people. And that really is what nationwide is about. It's what we've been about for 100 years, and it's what we're going to be about for the next 100. It really is a serious issue. I mean, for some folks, if you bounce a check, if you go over your credit limit, if you're late on a credit card payment, it's a disaster. I mean, you're already trying to navigate rough waters, and and one little thing like that can cascade into a whole mess of problems. It can. And that's why people, they, they struggle and they give up. And, you know, we talk about the financial toll uh, of people with debt. The emotional toll, I feel like, is even more, right? This is this overwhelming feeling that you've got. Really hard to think about doing all the other things you want to do when you're feeling that uh, on top of you every day. Scott Sanchez again with Nationwide. Thanks so much for your time today, Scott. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate it. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.